Hey all, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Queer Queries. Now before we get started, I want to talk to you about donating to the Alibi Lounge, which is the last black-owned, black-centric, LGBTQ plus bar in New York City. Now the Alibi Lounge is located in Harlem, and it is one of the last of its kind left in New York City, which over the past decade has seen a wave of closures of several LGBTQIA plus bars catering to black and indigenous people of color. In an effort to avoid having to close, the bar has launched a GoFundMe campaign to raise $50,000 to keep black and Latino employees on payroll and pay for rent, taxes, and utilities while the city is under quarantine. The credit for this information goes to Derek Clifton of Them.com, and the link to the GoFundMe will be below in the show notes. everybody and welcome to this episode of Queer Queries. I'm your host Nick Eibler and I'm so excited for today's trio of fabulous guests. They are three NYC based drag queens who were three of the first queens I saw perform when I moved to New York City um, and they're all so so good at what they do. Uh, and now without further ado, please welcome to your ears, Kiki Ball Change, Cora Kelly, and Sequoia. Hi. Hey, hello, Nick. Hi, How Nick. are we all doing? Good. Oh, you know. Fabulous. I've got an empty cup of coffee. Same. <laughs> I have uh, a cup of coffee. Oh, delicious. Are we talking, uh, what kind of roast are we talking? Dark roast, dark roast. Ooh, yummy, yummy. I'm I'm actually a tea girl. I don't do coffee. Really? I get it. Coffee gives me the shit, so I get it. It just like it makes me really phlegmy and I'm like I have the kind of voice where I'm like I feel like everything affects my singing voice, so I'm like I can't do caffeine and then even when I don't I do decaf it's like like uh, phlegm. I'm yeah, the same I, way but I'm just reckless, so I just <laughs> In order to get enough hydration back from a cup of coffee, you should drink two cups of water in addition to the eight cups you are mm-hmm. supposed to drink. So for each cup of coffee, you need two cups of water. Yes. I've heard that for alcohol too. Yes. So. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. God damn. God damn. Yeah. God damn. I don't drink enough water. My pee is like brown. <laughs> this girl. <laughs> Lovely. <Yeah>. Um. <laughs> Well, 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 on that, on that, note, <laughs> on that now that we're two minutes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just want to ask, like, how, how did we all get started in doing drag? How did we all get started? <laughs> like Not everyone at once. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki, how did you get started? I don't, I don't think I actually know. Oh, well, this is actually a fun story. So I um, had my drag name for years. Like I remember in... Uh, my senior year of high or not my senior year of high school sometime in high school I remember realizing that like drag names could be like punny and I like thought it was so like hilarious and like clever like all the different drag names and I remember being like oh so what would be my drag name if I ever did drag like just on the off chance I ever become a Halloween queen you know and go out and drag and so I was going through different names and I was like well it has to be something like so I was like going through different names and finally I like decided on Kiki Ball Change and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. So, you know, just on the off chance, if I ever get dressed up, like I hope no one has that name because that's what I want my name to be. And then cut to 
this was 2017. Uh, I was dating someone who really loved Drag Race and I hadn't seen really any Drag Race. I'd only seen like some of season two and three when it was on Netflix in like 2012. So it had been like years and years and years. And uh, I'd only ever seen, I lived in Orlando, but like I rarely went out. I went to Pulse like once and a couple other clubs there like a couple of times. But um, the only drag I'd ever seen was like Florida drag. And it's very Southern drag. It's very pageanty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew I was like, okay, that's not, that's not my gig. You know, I'm not, I'm not into that. But then my boyfriend at the time really got me to start watching Drag Race. And the first season I ever really saw all the way through was season eight. And um, Thorgy was the very first queen I saw that I was like, oh, that's what drag can be too. And that really kind of inspired me to, I like painted Thorgy's face on my face and took a picture. And then for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make an Instagram account and post it. So I made a full Instagram account for Kiki. I posted the picture and it started just like literally doing drag in my parents' house. And then, um, wait, you were just asking about starting. Sorry, I'm just going through my whole career. (laughs) That's how I started drag. I watched Drag Race. I thought Thorgy was great. I put on some makeup and posted an Instagram account. That's that's how I started. I do love uh, an autobiography, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, once you get me started, I can't stop. <laughs> Girl, same. Karma. Oh gosh, am I next? Okay. Um. So for me, oh my goodness, I'm trying to remember the origin story. I remember always like knowing who RuPaul was, of course, but I was like, what is this drag? What is this drag race? Do they drive cars? Like I was like, what is this? Um. And then. When I was when I went to college, I realized I was a flaming homosexual. So, um, so I went about the appropriate, you know, you know, just just you know, flaming. Um, so I went about the appropriate measures of like, you know, well, first I went to a drag themed party and I bought this beautiful pink wig off Amazon. Didn't cut the lace; it was so uh, rattered, tattered, and torn, and it was just a mess. And um, but you know, you cannot exactly yes, Nick, exactly. Mm-hmm. Except mine did thing. <laughs> That is beautiful. I love, I love the bangs. Um, but anyways, um, but um, I looked a mess, but you cannot tell me a damn thing. And then I was like, you know, let me try this. So in my, uh, and then I started watching, uh, I am such an all over the place storyteller. Um, I watched season eight of Drag Race, freshman year of college, but just like I was watching with friends. I was like, oh, this is fun, but like, I don't know. And then I went to the drag party and then I started watching all the seats and I was like, yeah, this is fun. And let me make this like a thing. And then I started practicing in my dorm room in college and those photos will never be released because it's just, just a mess. Um, yes, 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 yes. But I started practicing that and and because I knew by the time I moved to New York, I would want to pursue drag. So I knew I wanted to have like my stuff together in some way. I could still look a mess, but I want to have something. Like I knew a little bit what I was doing. And this is when I was at school in Syracuse. And um, so I was practicing some drag names. I went through some pedestrian ass drag names. Like hear this one. Oh, I'm so embarrassed to say this. B star, but I was going to spell it like B-E-A and star. So it was going to be like be a star. I know. I want to talk about it. And another one that I was going to go through was dot, but I was just going to stylize it as a period. Just a period. <laughs> and I would have expected you to do a Bernadette Peters impersonation. Yes. That was in the pop with George. Uh, totally. But um, but then my dad, senior year in college, before I was moving to New York, my dad, my parents, luckily, they're very accepting of my drag. And my dad texted me. He was like, guess what? And I was like, what, dad? And he was like, there's this cemetery in Ireland where all of our ancestors are buried. And it's called Corna Kelly. 
So I was like, oh my God, subtract the N, add an M. We got Miss Corma Kelly. Zooby, zooby, zoo. And here she is. <laughs> I'm dead. I love that. Yeah. So that's Miss Corma's origin story. Oh, that's Come on, Dad coming through with the dragon. Yes, name. Dad. Yes. This cemetery. Right. That good old cemetery realness. Mm. Oh, me? Who? Me? <laughs> Oh, my drag, my drag, you know, journey is like actually kind of similar to y'all's. I was doing a study abroad program in London with my theater program. We were studying Shakespeare and like contemporary theater. And just at night, my friend was watching Drag Race in our flat. And I like started watching as I would go back for my third or fourth glass of wine that I was drinking in my room by myself. And I was like, wait, this is kind of fun. And he was watching season four, um, which I was semi familiar with because I knew who Latrice was and I knew who Willem was. So I was like, okay, I recognize this. And then on my own, I watched season seven and I saw they did the Shakespeare challenge and I was studying Shakespeare at the time. So I was like, wait, this was, and it's like a notorious train wreck of a challenge as well. (laughs) So watching it, I was like, wait, I'm taking a Shakespeare class. Like if there are, if there's a world where a drag queen is even jokingly doing Shakespeare, like that's so fun. Like just that concept to me was so crazy. So I called my brother and was like, should I maybe be a drag queen? (laughs) I don't know let's try it and he bought me a wig because he had money at the time and he was so sweet and was very excited about it and then I like Korma started practicing in my in my house by myself and taking pictures that will never see the light of day oh my pictures are on my Instagram oh girl you can literally go back to my very first picture I ever posted yeah my very first picture is on there too but what you see isn't always the truth (laughs) I had, what you see isn't always what you get. Yeah, it's a it's a journey for everyone. But yeah, I the, my first drag picture, I was like anyone their first time. You couldn't tell me shit. I was like, I'm the prettiest person on the planet. I was the most popular <gasps> girl in school. Like that's what I felt like. And then when I moved to New York, I knew I wasn't going to go out looking dumb. I was like, I might look back and say I looked dumb, but I want to at least feel good when I leave. So. Mm-hmm. I got my makeup to a point where I felt like I was ready to show it to humans in person. And I DM'd Miss Diamond Wigfall and asked her what to do. I started because she gave me a shot and then <laughs> I'm here. So something you all mentioned that I'm so curious about is all of you kind of got into drag because of Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like speaking the influence of that on your own experience and like kind of what you think the effect of RuPaul's Drag Race has had on the scene of drag. Cause it's so funny. I remember I had a TV in my room when I was like, I think in like late elementary school, early middle school. And for some reason, I only had a select few channels on that TV. And one of those channels was logo TV. Get out of uh, here. For those no who don't way. know is the, is the LGBTQ uh, channel. That's a few so- channels that had logo. Uh, yeah, logo, and then like some something else where I like was watching like the Final Destination movies where I was like, Word. I can't watch, but I want to keep watching. But I think it was I watched the entirety. I want to say either season two or three live, and at that time I was like so terrified of drag queens, but also I wanted to keep watching. But yeah, but that was like a side a side tangent. But how do you think it's affected the drag industry as a whole, and and then your individual? How has Drag Race affected it? Yeah. Um, I think in a lot of ways, it's pushed it forward. It's pushed it more mainstream, obviously, now that it's on VH1, now that 
drag queens are being invited to the Met Gala. I really think in a lot of ways, it's done a lot of good for the drag community. But in a lot of ways, I also think it's kind of done a lot of harm to the community. Mm-hmm. I think with anything that kind of breaks boundaries and becomes the first mainstream anything, it's always kind of there are going to be pros and cons to it. Like we're happy that, you know, we have a voice and we have attention, but that also kind of blocks out other voices that are still kind of in the, what's the word, uh, counterculture, I guess, of drag. Um, a lot of AFAB and trans queens, I feel, are really upset about the way that drag has been displayed to the world. Um, I think the fact that RuPaul has said he has no interest in accepting trans or AFAB queens on the show is an issue. Um, But then we also have shows like Dragula that has really kind of also been another outlet. Um, Even I'd go so far as to say Camp Wanakiki is having more like a a bigger outlet for camp queens to really showcase their skills. But at the end of the day, I would say personally, I feel like I would rather have something than have nothing. I'd rather have a seat at the table than it all. So I think it's great. And I think that it has really pushed the art form into so many different facets of mainstream culture i mean pop artists are drag queens i feel you know so i think it's really kind of permeated everything and they've been stealing from drag queens for years i agree kiki i mean i feel like for me and for a lot of people and maybe y'all are included in this but when i got into drag my understanding of drag was drag race I was like, if they're not Pearl, they're not pretty. If they're not Kennedy Davenport, they're not sickening. And that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. And then I moved here. I saw drag in person. I saw local queens. I saw queens that everyone knew that I had never heard of and queens that I had heard of that nobody knew and everything in between. No, but it is, it can be a really excellent uh, jumping off point into what the world of drag really has to offer and how deep and diverse it actually really is. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with both of you that with awareness comes the negatives, but I think it's like, thank God that Drag Race has introduced so many people to queer culture and, and to like drag and the art of it. And so I think it's fabulous. But I mean, of course, like a big misconception for so many, I, I think I think Drag Race has done so much good for the community, but the fandom is so toxic, I think, that like that recently it's like, it's going against like the spirit of the show. I feel like um, recently, just because with the mainstreamness comes just more and more voices to like be negative, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. As witnessed with the season for like with Britta leaving social media and all that, like just people are so ruthless and so awful. So, mm-hmm. so with awareness comes more people to have their opinions. So, I mean, but, but, you know, in the end, thank God that there is this awareness for drag and, the amazingness that is queer culture. So it's amazing. But you know, with the positives come the negatives, but we all take it in stride. So yeah. Yeah. And just those damn fans. Like and and the fans are amazing, but just the it's just the the people who consider themselves fans and want to critique everything and but they're not actually fans because they're not appreciating it. So it's like because mm-hmm. because what they think drag is, they get it from drag race. But yeah. that's not like there's so much drag beyond drag race, like you're both yeah. saying. So Speaking, yeah, kind of touching on 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 what you just said is something I realized. This is kind of like speaking to the specifically the New York drag queen scene. Something I loved and didn't realize was a thing was the use of like a monologue in your shows. I think it's a very yeah, it's a very New York thing. I found very rarely, and that's part of also why um. When I was in Florida, it was not really an interest to me because I'd only ever seen people lip syncing to 
like ballads in pageant gowns or like up-tempo numbers and like a classic dance leotard and, and high, you know, high boots. But I started seeing mixes from people on Instagram, primarily that lived in New York. And um, that was also a huge inspiration for my own drag. But same thing, like when I perform at other cities, people are kind of like, why did the song stop? And why are you mm-hmm. just talking, you know, but but it's also an opportunity to introduce people to that and make it kind mm-hmm. of more of a popular thing in other places. So yeah, I think for some reason, it's it's only really popular in New York City from what I found. And I, I'm not yeah. sure why. I've, I've also like discovered, I've, I feel the exact same way. Like the first, when I watched season eight Drag Race, I watched all of Bob the Drag Queen's lip syncs. And then I discovered yeah. like, you can put monologues in and numbers mm-hmm. and you can like, have like three different songs per number you could like like there's so much you could do so i i agree i've not really seen this style of lip, lip sync anywhere else really like i like i i i went to la once like um a year ago and i and i saw some drag in la and it's like they're all gorgeous they're all beautiful like they dance but like mm-hmm. you won't see a monologue in a number which is yeah. like which which i love it's such a new york thing like and it's it's exciting too to like you think where a number you have an idea where a number's going, and then it mm-hmm. just totally switches it around, or the monologue sheds more light on the number or like mm-hmm. theme. Like I love it. I, I wish every drag queen had monologue in their numbers. I love it because I think it it really highlights the queen's creativity and just like what their sense of humor is or what their sense of style is. And like I love like one of the things I love watching you three is like just like seeing the connection between like the songs and then the monologues and you're seeing this whole character for each piece that's all stems from the drag persona but it's all these different little facets and it's just like i just think it's so entertaining and so just yeah it's fun (laughs) to like to to take a song and flip it on its head by Mm -hmm. giving some other context to it like Mm -hmm. i do clumsy with a bunch of clips of myself running into shit with my head. Cause that's what I do all the time and like mm-hmm. tripping and falling, you know what I mean? Like to take a, a song that you know and recognize and mm-hmm. then to deliver it another way is just the most fun thing. Pulling mm-hmm. out the rug. Uh-oh. Who are some of your inspirations, either drag Queens, non-drag Queens, Hollywood movie, female stars, Hollywood movie female star. Yes. Um, for me, Beyonce. When I was when I was coming out in high school um, and starting to not like, I, I had this shift where I didn't really like make a poster. I didn't really tell people. I just stopped telling people no if they asked me because I figured if they were bold enough to ask me my business that they got to learn the truth, <laughs> I guess. And that was when the Beyonce visual album came out. Was right all at the same mm-hmm. time. So I was listening to this music about a woman like feeling powerful and confident and sexy and ruling the world and being a badass quite literally. And so um, explicitly, I was like, I love this. And like, Mm -hmm. she's like the center of like a queer identity for me. She's like a pillar in my blossoming as a queen. I'm right there with you. Mm. Um, For me, I would say like for my drag inspiration, um, okay, okay. I have three names. Um, I just love clowns. I love like yeah. women who um, are not afraid to be stupid and silly. So my three inspirations, um, Carol Burnett is my number one. In in like the Zooby Zooby Zoo show I did the West End, like I would end the show with, I'm so glad we had this time together, which mm-hmm. is the song food sing at her show. And, and she had that little earwag. So Carol's number one. Number two is probably Mary Tyler Moore. Because I, I just love like 70s, 80s television. So I just like, 
oh, and when she throws that hat in the air and it pauses, just my heart bursts. Um, that's when I realized I was queer. Um, so anyways, um, and then number three is Amy Sedaris. Yeah, just like a clown, stupid, with like 25 O's, like so, so stupid. <laughs> and I just love people who are stupid, and but they have that awareness that like you can tell that they're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah, those, those, those are my three. I just love women. Don't we all? <laughs> we all. <laughs> love them. Yeah, I, I was literally like sitting here writing down names so I wouldn't forget them. <laughs> As far as like drag queens go, uh, again, I mentioned Thorgy. I think she was like kind of my first mm-hmm. inspiration of like what drag could be. But I also, before I ever watched Drag Race, I was obsessed with Coco Peru. Mm. Obsessed with her. Like, well, I first found her on Vine when Vine was like super popular. <laughs> she used to make really funny Vines. And then that led me to her YouTube channel, which led me to, you know, the whole history of Coco Peru as I kind of dove in deeper. But um, she was definitely a big inspiration for me. As far as like non-drag queens, uh, I love Lucille Ball. I think she is like one of the greatest female comedians slash comedians period of our time. Joan Rivers, for some reason, has always been like Ooh. a huge inspiration for me. Joan Rivers is a drag queen. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't know why this has always stuck with me, but I watched an interview with her one time and she said sometimes, or more often than not, the funniest people are oftentimes the saddest. And I don't know why that has just resonated with me so much because maybe I, I feel like that really fits me to a T. But for some reason, like I've always just loved her spirit and like the fact that she she was always the happiest person and she did go through a lot of shit in her life, but she was hilarious and she always brought a smile to people's faces. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I've always tried to do. As far as like politicalness, I think I, I follow very much in Marty's footsteps. I feel like um, drag should be political and it has always mm-hmm. been political. And mm-hmm. so I'm very inspired by uh, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, um, all of the ACT UP people that um, protested uh, the way that people with AIDS were treated in the 80s and 90s. They're all kind of my inspiration. Yeah. yeah. And now Miss Miss Coco's your mom, right? Coco Katie? and Marty are both my mom, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, take it after mothers. It's really, yeah. seriously, it's like such a weird full circle moment that sometimes I just have to kind of pinch myself. Yeah, it's really, it's wild. It's so funny. I I think I, my introduction to, uh, to Coco Peru was, wasn't she in the Eating Out movies? What or she? something? She was I never in, saw the Eating in, Out movies. She was in some like game. She's been in, she's been in Trick. She had the coming yeah, time monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It burns. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was one of those that came on Logo TV and was watching. Gabriel, Gabriel, later, Gabriel, Gabriel. Way earlier than I should have been mm-hmm. watching Logo TV. Um, God bless Logo TV. I love it. <laughs> I even love that, the logo for logo. It's such a fun logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was watch. I was watching Queer as Folk, uh, Noah's Ark, Drag Race. Oh my God, all, God, all of these other movies. My that, very first like gay movie that I ever saw that I was like, oh my God, this is like a gay movie. It was on Lifetime. Does anyone remember Prayers for Bobby? Yes. <laughs> no, that was my first. I was I, like, great. So if I come out of the closet, I'm gonna jump off a bridge. I think no. that might have been mine too. That that was either mine or like one of my first. It was like I remember that, that. or like Harvey. It was like Milk, the movie about oh, Harvey Milk, yeah. and so both of them are like very but heavy. Damn. Yeah, so I was like, that was like my like my like growing up. I was like, well, that's what it's like to be gay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. was, I mean, was the mom in that Prayers for Bobby movie. Icon. 
God, both movies about the struggles of being a gay Literally, person. I didn't come out for so long because I was so scared my parents would reject me and I would have to commit suicide to get out of it. Was that because of what you'd seen in in media or just like from from uh, hearing? Well, yeah, part of it was like uh, mostly media. And that's also part of why, I mean, Glee is one of the things that really kind of opened. I mean, we love to harp on Glee for being stupid, but like it was really one of the moments where I was like, oh, people can be accepting of gay people because I saw Kurt on screen and I was like, oh, like he's very flamboyant. They're all accepting. His father accepts him. And uh, that's actually what what kind of spurred me to come out to my parents was seeing Glee. But yeah, my parents have always been very supportive of me. I don't know why I ever thought they wouldn't be. But, you know, I was I wasn't Christian, but we went to synagogue every week. And, you know, I thought that would be an issue. And, you know, I grew up with my mom asking me all the time if I was gay. I would be Princess Peach in Mario Kart. My brothers would play like with lightsabers and I would be the Jedi princess Oh. I would learn Beyonce's like single ladies dance or ego yeah. dance. I learned bad romance. I was, I, I it, all the signs were there. So, and my parents were always like my parents, Larry growing up, my mom told me when we were little, her and my dad would sit and be like, all right, so we think Gabe's gay. Like he's out of all our kids, he's the gay one. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it was never an issue of like family, even though I perceived it that way, but I would say it was mostly with the location I grew up. I grew up in a, literally the most Republican county in Florida. Matt Gates is our representative currently. And if you know anything about Matt Gates, he's a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. And I grew up seeing Prayers for Bobby and uh, Milk were two of my very first influential gay films that I ever saw. So it was very much how I perceived coming out would be was that. Yeah, same. I mean, my first exposure was Brokeback Mountain. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. I, I would cry. I would cry late in the day. Come on, so late at night. I would just sit in my bed and sob. Oh, that movie just hit so hard. I mean, there was during that time, that was the only representation that we had ever seen. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and I, in that study abroad that I talked about earlier, is I did a, a report on this, like, how stories historically for LGBT people have been about how tragic it is to be LGBT, mm-hmm. as though we don't have other things in our lives that happen to us, because those are real stories and things that we need to tell. But queer people also have really funny experiences or really mm-hmm. cool romantic experiences that actually have nothing to do with how difficult it is to be a member of society and be LGBT. Mm -hmm. We do live full and happy lives sometimes, you know, ebbs and flows and all that. So we need some more of that, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, totally. For me with coming out, it was like, when I came out, my parents were like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, they were like, yeah, duh. Like, it wasn't <laughs> like, I, I wanted to, like, make it, like, this big. Because for me, like, the biggest, what were, what were the, I think, the, <laughs> uh, falling in the theme of all you, I think the first uh, game movie I saw was Philadelphia. So, um, um, so oh, he died of AIDS. So, uh, so, yeah, that was the first one I saw. But, um, but I didn't even realize what was happening. And, um, and when I came out, I mean, my mom is very, my mom especially is very accepting because my uncle, like, who was her best friend, passed a while ago, but, um, but he was a flaming homosexual. <laughs> say it with me now. Yeah, say it with me Yeah, he was, he was just uh, a flaming homosexual. Yeah, he was just, yeah, but he was just so gay. So I, I, I think it also just helped where I grew up. I grew up in upstate New York and 
then I lived oh, in yeah. New Jersey, just like, you know, the Northeast. So mm-hmm. I, I, for me, just the environment helped. The environment definitely helped to like being comfortable coming out as gay. I also didn't realize I was gay until I went to college, which um, I was 18. So it was, I was a late bloomer. I also didn't hit puberty till I was 18. <laughs> so, um, so everything just hit at 18. So it was a mess. Um, but I think the first positive portrayal of a gay person I saw was also Kurt on Glee. I specifically remembering going like, oh my God, his voice is the same pitch as mine. Oh my God. I was like, who is this fella? And, and I remember, I think the first episode I watched of Glee, I just turned it on and it was the episode where his father comes out to his father. And I was like, what is this? This is wild. Like, it was just like, it was alarming. Cause I'd never seen anything like that on TV before. And I, yeah. this was 2010. So it's just wild how like times have really changed in 10 years, but have they, who's to say, but, um, but yeah, but Kurt was my first. Me too. But I was not allowed to watch Glee after the second season. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Because it was inappropriate. It did get pretty risque after like the second well, season. Well, we were, you know, we were Mormon. And my mom was, of, uh, who is now no longer a member of the church, was in fact at the time the most fervent member and the most active about making sure we were following the rules about not swearing and not watching things that are PG-13 or whatever the specific rules are. So I didn't really, I didn't really like Kurt. I was kind of taught that I wasn't supposed to like him. And then I wasn't allowed to watch the show. So that's kind of a bummer. I never really got to like, look at him and go, whoa, I just was like, oh, the gay one. Let's not watch this anymore. And then like turned it off. Was it at all hard for either your parents or friends? Like, obviously, like, coming out as gay is one thing. But then I know sometimes it's like, well, guess what, mom? I'm also a drag queen. <laughs> is that ever a struggle for, for any of you? I think yeah. it came with the territory for my, like, my dad was mostly just like, I had already gone to school for musical theater. So he was already <laughs> a little bit like, hey, are you going to be... Uh, he like didn't know that I was going to be able to like make money. And he was just was worried about like the practical things for me. And when I told him I wanted to be a drag queen, he just was like, what does that mean? Is that your job? Can you make money at that? And so once I let them know, I'm like, Hey, there's like a show. And like some people make money without being on the show and like explained all that to them. Then they were actually pretty okay. That part wasn't too difficult for me, luckily. Yeah. I, um, it was okay. It, it was kind of good and bad. So I first started doing drag as kind of a bedroom queen in my parents' house. And literally, the first day I ever put on makeup, like, I literally just put on a towel and a towel on my head. And I was like, this is my outfit. And I posted that picture. But then my second time, literally, like, the next day, I think, I was like, well, I don't have any clothes. And I want to, like, post some stuff. So I literally went down to my mom's room. And my mom and dad were both on the bed. And I was, like, in full face. And I was like, Hi. They were like, oh, hi. <laughs> I was like, mom, can I borrow some clothes? And she was like, yeah, let me go get you a bra. And like literally like walked me to her closet, got a bra for me. She's like, this should fit. Here's some dresses, blah, blah, blah. And it was fine. But then <laughs> it was, I had gotten a BFA musical theater. I've been doing theater since I was six. And I was working my way toward joining the union and was very much set on a path of theater. And my parents had both kind of not accepted that. Like they were always supportive of it, but they were just like, okay, this is the path he's going on. So then when drag kind of started taking my life, it was kind of where I had to start choosing what I had to kind of focus on. I remember having a discussion with my mom and being like, you know, I I really think drag is going to be more fulfilling for me. I think it has already been more fulfilling for me. I see a market for myself in it. And, you know, I, I really kind of think 
I want to do it. And she was really hesitant at first to kind of accept that, not because she didn't approve of me doing drag, but it was just like, she didn't, she, like, the only thing she ever wants from me is for me to be successful and happy. So she was worried that I wouldn't make money doing that, that it would be a harder life for me, that, you know, all the same things with me being gay. It's like, she was never not supportive of it, but she was just always worried about my safety. She was worried about you know, how, how happy I would be and stuff like that. So it was very much the same thing when I, when I decided to kind of talk to her about doing drag full time. But, you know, as soon as she saw me do it was my instant number one fan. And she literally will like always text me and be like, Oh, I love the picture of Kiki today. I love Kiki's kitchen. My sister like sent me videos of her watching my, my Kiki's kitchen and like just sitting there like dying laughing at me. Mm You know, so it it was kind of a hard uh, pill for her to swallow at first just because she was worried about how successful I would be. But now that I think she sees that I am being successful at it and that it's bringing me a lot of happiness, I think she's definitely warmed up to the idea. I feel like all of our number one fans are are our moms. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) We're very lucky that way. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it was, drag was just like a natural progression because I, I mean, I went to school where did I go to school? I went to school at Syracuse for acting, and um, and I was in high school, middle school, and elementary school. I was very involved in theater, and then so I was like, yeah, I'll be an actor. And then I quickly realized when I was in school, like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of fish in this in this big lake, an ocean of theater. So, mm-hmm. and then once I started like doing more information on drag, I realized how competitive drag was, but it's just a smaller community, so it's just easier to make a name for yourself. So I was like interesting so that was always in the back of my mind like maybe i want to be a drag queen like maybe like it it seems like like i quickly realized like i can make opportunities with drag wherein with theater like it's harder to do that because you're just at the fate of the people behind the table but with drag like you can go out and make things for yourself so i so that was always in the back of my head and then um my parents they started asking me around like sophomore junior like why are you buying so much makeup and i was like (laughs) um well, I'm just casting, you know, what do you mean? Her name is, her name is B-Star. I'm just working out the name. And, uh, <laughs> B-Star. and B-Star, maybe Dot. And they're like, okay, those are terrible names. Um, but they were very, honest. Yeah, I know. But um, but they're very supportive. Like, I'm very lucky in that they're very supportive. And again, they always knew I was a flaming homosexual. They always knew that. So, like, the drag wasn't, like, far off. It wasn't, like, a scary yeah. thing mm-hmm. for them. Which, again, I'm very lucky that, like, I live where I live and I grew up where I grew up. And so it's just my journey. I'm, again, just very lucky that it's worked out. Of course, it's been bumps along the way. There's always bumps along the way. But, like, optimism comes through. And, you know, we just we just keep going on that journey. So, you know, it's yeah. been a lovely journey so far. And I love it. Can I? I don't know if you had a question about this. But can I kind of, Corman, maybe think about something yeah. that I want to mention? I like kind of forgot like that was also one of like the driving points for me to pursue drag because I could kind of make my own terms and make my own art. And I think I don't know about you, but I maybe can assume as far as I know about most drag queens that start off in theater. So often we don't find a place for ourselves in theater. Like I have a very high voice. I look like a leading man stature wise. It never I'm not a dancer. So it like it never quite fit how I wanted to and so that's part of why it's like when I can do drag it's I'm taking what I want to do what I always wanted to do in theater and literally doing it for myself instead of relying on someone else yeah 
I, I had that too. Like when I was in college, I had a lot of conflict with professors on like, you're not giving us uh, enough of leading man sort of material or whatever. And I was just never interested in doing any of these roles in a way that didn't feel honest to me. And drag was a way that I was like, I can do something and be the creator, the writer, the costume designer, the makeup artist, the everything. And no one can tell me that I'm not doing it right because there's not actually a right way to do it. And that that was a, a similar driving force for me as well. It's just like, I can be in charge. And there, uh, I always had professors be like, if you can't find work for yourself, like create your own work. And I was like, okay, that's super easy in like the seventies in wherever, you know what I mean? Like it just is a different world and you can't just like show up and create theater somewhere in New York city and drag. Everything costs money and everything. So, you know, it's crazy. So drag was a way that I could be scrappy and creative and work my way into an industry in a way that worked for my skills and stuff. Also one of like the blessings of social media and, and RuPaul's drag races, because drag has become so quote unquote in right now and people are able to make names for themselves just by creating a page and or creating a youtube channel and and gaining a following that way and then eventually like getting to a certain level and like being paid by like youtube or like something like that and something you've all kind of touched on that i wanted to bring up is i i remember either reading in an interview or something that I, and I thought this was like a brilliant idea that Alaska was talking about how she wanted to create some kind of drag queen union because it's it's such a sustainable career nowadays. I mean, at least at least to my impression, it's like I, it's it's always been there, but because finally people are starting to take it seriously as a a viable career option that there needs to be like protections and regulations set in place so you're not just like. Yes, you get to do your art and, and you want to be able to do your art no matter what, but you want to be treated fairly and feel like you're taken care of because you're doing work and you're doing a service for et cetera, club, concert, yeah. festival, mm-hmm. whatever you perform at. So do you guys have anything? I hope she starts that because drag queens really get treated. And I'm not going to name any specific names of bars or whatever, but like I've been experiences where like I've felt I've, Talked to this bar owner once about trying to get a show somewhere, blah, 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 blah. I just felt like he was flirting with me like hardcore and it just didn't feel professional. Um, but I think just being in gay nightlife, like I, maybe that's why he was flirting with me because like we're all gay, it's nightlife, blah, blah, blah. I just felt uncomfortable. And it's like as I'm trying to get the show for myself, like I have to like go through this to get a show, like mm-hmm. being flirted at where I don't want to be flirted at. And it just felt like inappropriate. God, I hope there's a union that starts because like that protects us. Like it protects actors and dancers and all that. Like I love that because I don't want. Yeah. It's like, it's like 2020 and we're drag Queens. We shouldn't have to sit through a casting couch, so to speak, to have a show at a bar and to, you know, not get paid a a living wage either. Like it would be cool if there's a way to do that. I don't know how that would happen, but I think it's a really beautiful idea. As a card-carrying member of the After ah, Association, on, pull out her card. I have a very specific, <laughs> a very specific um, point of view. I have been screaming from the rafters that I think there should be a union for drag queens because I think drag queens deserve one, and I think they're more often than not treated like shit. Mm. They're paid shit. 
they're flirted with to get job. Unfortunately, gay nightlife culture is very sexually driven. And and because of that, there are a lot of issues that come when you employ uh, a drag queen as well as payment. I think we should all be paid a fair wage. We shouldn't be doing shows for $50 a night. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, I mean, even at 125 is, is ridiculous, you know, for the amount of work that goes into it. And, and it's almost like the service industry. It's like you almost, you rely then on your patrons to pay you a living wage. Age when, when more often than not, because the market is so oversaturated right now, people have to pick and choose one who they give their money to, and two, it, there are so many drag queens out there. It's it's hard to kind of stand out. So I brought up when I within the first year of living in New York, I posted something on Facebook about what if there was a union, and uh, I think there are challenges to it. I don't think it's impossible, but most people said it's kind of like equity. There will still be clubs that are Mm non-union. And unfortunately, because you know about actors' equity, it's theaters have to pay more to be in the union. Like they they have to also pay dues to be a union theater. So I think more often than not, the way I see it going is it'll be kind of like equity where the top tier drag queens are in the union and work at union bars and the ones that aren't work at non-union bars. And I think it is necessary, but I think it will take kind of a massive change of mind of, of nightlife to enact that. But I think it's possible and I think it's needed. I agree. Yeah, because I know, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I remember seeing something, I think it was Trinity the Tuck or someone posted a while back. Uh, I think it was Murray, God, what's that company? that? Murray, oh, Murray, Murray and Peter. Peter. Murray and Peter. There is something that happened. I think this is when I heard the conversation that Alaska was having. It's like, there needs to be a union. Because so many of like, even these like, Queens that have been on Drag Race were dealing with these shitty circumstances because of whatever company was the producer for the tour that they were all on. And so, yeah, I, I think it's I, I I hear I definitely hear what you're you're saying, Kiki. But I, I I and I think it's like a it's a needed thing right now, especially with like the way the direction the drag industry is is headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and I, I remember hearing about that Murray and Peter thing because wasn't it with Monet? She went to film like a Madonna music video, and then yeah. like, wouldn't let her back on the tour. And that's like that's a perfect example of like producers and management just being inappropriate and just like uh, and that should never that, that would never people, happen. People, it's like they try to almost possess queens and be like, "You work for me, and you can't do." You know what I mean? It's it's not. Lucrative it's like there, for us. there should be this like sense of of gratitude. It's like still considering like you're in a, a lower tiered career and you should be grateful that we are allowing you to be on this national international stage. Yeah. And part of I think what quarantine has kind of showed us is that truly we can make art wherever we want. And we can still, you know, if we're lucky, be paid to do that if people, mm-hmm. you know, are sending tips or whatever through Venmo. But so I think that also in a post coronavirus world, I think that's something we're also going to have to take uh, take stock of is is how has flourishing of online drag changed nightlife? Because at the end of this, I, I really think so many clubs are not going to reopen. And that's going to be an issue that we're all going to have to kind of deal with is is now how are we going to deal with the lack of jobs? And, you know, and I think, again, having a union would mm-hmm. help, but yeah. we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this will be the time that that all kind of starts to to spark and happen, though. You know, like like Kiki said, we've got, we've got a lot of time to think right now. Mm-hmm. And we're not the only three drag queens who are thinking about this and we're not the only you know four queer people discussing uh, you know ideas like this so we never know where things are going to take us 
<laughs> as we ease out of all of this madness. Mm-hmm. Madness. Madness. The madness. Um, kind of like a last thing I wanted to ask you guys. You got, I mean, I think you've all brought up Marty to some extent. But for me, Marty was the first queen that I saw. And and I, Marty and, and Sasha Valore were two of the first queens where I was like, wow, you can do something with your your artistry, specifically in the drag format. And kind of like, is there kind of like an open-ended question, but like talking to like the power you think drag has to make a difference. And also, is there something specific you want to do with your drag, even if it's just making people laugh or... Anything like that? Well, that kind of like speaking at shows and telling people like the importance of drag. I've seen only a few queens do that. And Marty and Kiki are two of the queens who I think mm-hmm. do that like consistently. Yeah. Like take a moment out of your show to like really talk about what we're doing. It's not just fun and entertainment. It's also political and powerful and important. I, I'm sure Kiki can speak more to that. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I mean, it. it's so powerful that. Yeah. That, really yeah. I, uh, I think as drag queens we have a platform especially if we are lucky enough to have um a full show you know if we're not just doing a guest spot with one or two numbers obviously you know the the opportunity but again it's like we're creating art so even if you have just one number to to make a statement as i said before drag has always been political so if if and and again tying it back to drag race i think they're good and bad. I think drag has now become something else, which is fine. And and I think that is also great. But I think it's very important that we remember where we came from. And we remember that not too long ago, we, you know, drag was not accepted. We can go right back to that any moment if society deems so. And so I think it's important while we do have this major platform to use it and to use it for good. So <laughs> Yeah, so I always really, really try at my shows. I think any any theatrical production, you know, it can't all be humor because mm-hmm. one audience gets tired of, you know, they want something different. So I think having moments that during the show you can kind of take, you know, you can you can be sad in a drag show. You can be political in a drag show. It doesn't all have to be that you look pretty and you're dancing your ass off and you're getting tips. I think you can also use your art and use your voice and use your drag as a way to move society forward, to open people's minds, to encourage them to be politically active, to encourage them to fight against things that aren't right. And again, at any moment, this platform could be taken from us. You know, we have an administration that is actively working to silence our voices at all times. So while I still have this voice, and, and as long as this voice can be heard and, and used, then I think it's important for me to use it. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for me, when I, I've, I've had a few opportunities to, to do my own show and to kind of be the ringleader, so to speak, of, of a drag experience. And I always want people, if they come to see a show that I'm hosting or that I'm a part of, I want people to feel welcome. When I was growing up, not only did I not know very many queer people or have a super great connection to any sort of queer culture, 
I was also very scared of it. And when I moved to New York, my biggest fear was that I was going to go to a gay bar and that someone was going to make fun of me for wearing makeup because that would happen when I was back home. So I was like, I don't want to go out and I don't know. And uh, if I'm going to go to a show, I'm going to get called up on stage and I'm going to have to take my shirt off and people are going to laugh at me or something. And I, I never wanted my show to feel like anything other than the place that you come to. I'm not going to ask you, you know, I didn't want to embarrass any. I wanted people to come and watch someone be an idiot for an hour, maybe sing them a song. Maybe someone comes up and they play a drinking game with me or something. I, I wanted it all to feel like we were all in a big happy room together of, of just constant <laughs> back and forth and fun. And, and I, I think it's important to be political and, and to take those moments as well. And part of that is just existing in the space and being a person who is doing, you know, what we're doing and letting people know that it's, it's a safe space. It's a fun space and that people feel welcome there in any spectrum of the LGBT and not as well. So yeah, yeah that was always biggest for me, I think. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for doing this. This is so fun. <laughs> That's so fun. I, know. Yeah. I could I I could I could talk to you guys for for ages and I I mean I've I've tuned into all of your Instagram lives, but I so miss watching you all in the in the little bit I've got to spend. I was like in New York for like a few months and then I did a show and now I'm still <laughs> not back in New York, but in the little, in the little time I got to spend there, I was so honored to watch each one of you perform and you're all so, so good at what you do and thank you for what you do. And please support these three wonderful drag artists. Korma and Sequoia have a show on Instagram Live called Good Morning Monday. It's at 2 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> and Kiki's got Kiki's Kitchen, which is on YouTube and Instagram Live. Uh, Instagram Live. Or, uh, Instagram I hate TV, not Instagram Live. Um, um, and like we're saying, please support local drag artists. So each one of their Venmos, Kiki Ball Change, uh, Korma Kelly, E-Y, not Y. Like an Irish E-Y. Irish Kelly. Exactly. And the only Sequoia. All of this will be linked in the show notes below. Is there anything else any of you want to say before we sign off? I also want to add, um, I'm starting a brand new show on June 1st. I'm very excited about it. (laughs) When I said earlier, I kind of had to choose a path between theater and and drag. I'm very happy to start bringing them both together again. I'm going to start interviewing Broadway actors. I'm starting with Bonnie Milligan on June 1st. Yeah. Oh my God. Consecutive week after. And it's all for a good cause. Uh, I will have a link to uh, Broadway Cares. They're doing um, a COVID relief fund as well. So it goes to AIDS research and relief as well as coronavirus aid research and relief. If you uh, feel like joining me there, you are welcome to. And I'm very, very happy to bring you. That's yeah. so exciting. Yay. Yay. Once again, thank you all so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Nick. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this episode of Queer Queries. The show is produced by yours truly. Theme song written by Matt Gregory, Colin Egan, and Mike Hubbard. Produced by Colin Egan and Mike Hubbard. Logo designed by David Pavlon. Is there something you'd like to hear be talked about on the show or know someone who'd be a great guest? Email askqueerqueries at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you. Also, follow us on Instagram at, at queerqueries. Queries.